Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. All right, welcome back to the pod. Today, we are going to have a books episode. That's right, one of my favorite formats called a tradition. We are just going to talk about books and reading and writing, and specifically our favorite books that we read in the past 12 months. I know a lot of you out there are big readers. This one's for you. In fact, I'd love to hear some of your reading recommendations. We are going to post links to all the books mentioned in today's episodes, plus other resources for readers and writers at tropicalmba.com slash books 2019. And to help me fill out my brand new bookshelf this year, I've invited back writer Kyla Gardner to the show. You can find out about her work at kylagardner.com. In fact, we did an episode like this just one year ago. We had so much fun we thought we'd run it back. So let's roll it. I'm all about those books, about those books. Start reading. I'm all about those books, about those books. So in 2018, I wanted to make an effort to read a lot more fiction books. I think I've always been drawn to like self-help books and books about writing or about just how to live life. And I think you miss a lot of the more subtle ways that fiction books kind of tell you how to live life because there's stories about people and we learn a lot from that. And I'm starting writing fiction. So I thought I need to read a lot more fiction. What's wrong with all the self-help books though? I mean, if any of them worked, you wouldn't need to read the next one, right? (laughs) Like (laughs) You're just constantly, well, it's the 80-20. Like I feel like The 20% is getting the information and the 80% is implementing it. So this year, I wanted to implement the things I knew I should be doing instead of just gathering more information about it. So one of the things you implemented this year is that you got off of social media. Yeah, I feel very passionately against social media. And I think it stole literally like a decade of my life. Like, I could feel that it changed my brain and that I couldn't read anymore. And I had a lot of trouble sitting down and working on anything I wanted to work on because I couldn't focus. And I was looking for that quick dopamine rush of a like or an approval. And it's been like a three-year journey of me slowly chipping away at taking different social media accounts out of my life until this year I have nothing at all. And maybe I miss some comments or some really loose connections with my 700 acquaintances. But the people who are important to me, I'll call them, I'll message them, we'll talk. And I don't need that kind of fake connection. What was your biggest fear in getting rid of your accounts? I think that I would be lonelier, but I think the reverse has happened because I'm more conscious of filling time I might have had scrolling through Facebook mindlessly with actually calling a friend and having a meaningful conversation with them. Do you worry about it from business perspective? I know you're writing a book this year. Do you think about promoting it and things like that? 
I do think about that and worry about it a little bit, but there's this marketer, Tim Grawl, and he's marketed some really big name authors. Like I think he did a Ramit Sethi book and other people like that. So people with like millions of followers on social media. And he did this deep dive into looking at how many people actually purchase the book from seeing it on Twitter or Facebook. And it's like zero percent. I hope that turns out to be true, but we'll see. I've been thinking that maybe this period from like 2013 to 2018 in retrospect will be called like social media hysteria. One of the things when I was preparing for this episode, I realized that I probably read less books this year than in any of the last five years. And I was really disappointed and bummed about that. And I did waste a lot of time this year on dumb social media stuff. And I knew it was dumb while I was doing it. And one of the things I noticed in 2019 is I was like, definitely getting serious about changing some of my habits on the internet and my relationship to technology in general. One of the things I was like, man, I got to get back to writing essays because that's really valuable in my life. It's meant a lot for me and my business. I noticed a lot of other people that I used to follow doing essays kind of doing the same thing at the same time. And I was wondering, I wonder if everybody's sort of waking up from this hysteria at the same time and sort of getting back to the things that we knew mattered in the first place before there were, quote, indications or, quote, engagement to show us that they mattered. Likes and comments and shares and these things, they're not really analogous to anything in real life that matters to you. I thought about, like, for example, how many good essays have I, quote, engaged with in the last month? For me, it's probably two a day. So I've read 60 essays in the last month. And how many have I, quote, engaged with on social media? Even if it would, surely maybe the author would feel pumped about that. The answer is one or two or three or four or five, maybe five of them. But that's not the engagement the author cares about or should care about. Because the fact that it's changing the way that I'm thinking, changing the way that I'm behaving, changing the way that I'm interacting with my family, the fact that I'm building an intellectual relationship with them as an author, those things are all very real and they're all happening. And they're not going to show up on Instagram. Right. Now the big thing on Facebook, I feel like, is to write like a super long screed. It's very emotional. It's very vulnerable. You're giving this whole thing. I feel like it's not a well thought out thing. It's not like a full book or a full essay. And I want to read the stuff that people had to go like into a hole for weeks or months to create so that I know that it's worth my time when I read it versus just something dashed off. Here's what I think. Here's my initial response to this. Just I want more thoughtful stuff. Kyla, tell us a little bit about the book that you're working on. I'm working on a thriller novel about digital nomads. So my elevator pitch for it is that it's like the beach, but 20 years later. And for people who aren't familiar with the beach, it was a okay movie with Leonardo DiCaprio, but a really good book by Alex Garland. And I listened to it on audiobook, which was really good. The narrator did a really good job with all the different accents. And it's basically backpackers and 
Southeast Asia meet the Lord of the Flies. They try to create this idyllic utopia on a Thai island, and then, of course, it ends in death and destruction. <laughs> I've been inspired by it and hope to create something equally as dark and kind of capturing a moment, but everybody's got laptops. It's cool because one of the questions I get asked all the time is, will you be in my Digital Nomad documentary? <laughs> and my answer is just no, because I've seen so many of these things and they're so boring. Yeah. I mean, there's just nothing interesting about sitting behind your laptop making businesses. So how, how do you intend to make what otherwise is a snooze fest <laughs> into something exciting? So I see the digital nomad aspect of it as kind of the setting it takes place in. And the main plot could be something that happens with people who don't work from their laptops, potentially. Some of those details do get woven in and are a part of the plot, but the main core of it is something that's not just, oh, I made money online and isn't that exciting and now let's like watch my stats <laughs> for the next <laughs> few months because no one wants to read that. That sounds really exciting. My sense is that the narrative will be for a broader audience, but I hope for us insiders that you'll leave some... Easter egg? Yeah, definitely. Cool, Kyla. So let's get moving on to then the books that we selected. The ground rules for the episode is that we each selected five books that we read in 2018 that we think TMBA listeners would enjoy reading. Now, what criteria did you use to select your books? So I tried to select books from a lot of different genres. So I have like a straight nonfiction. I do have a pop psychology, a fiction book, a memoir, and then the best books that I read in those genres. All right. So why don't you kick us off with your first book? Okay. So my first book is Overbooked by Elizabeth Becker. And this is a book about the business of tourism. And I'm fascinated by the business of tourism and how it's changing the world. But I feel like this is something you can't really easily read about. The author makes the point that most things that are written about tourism and travel are lifestyle related. They're for the consumer. They're how to have the best vacation. They're not about how is Angkor Wat sinking into the ground in Cambodia. Because <laughs> no one wants to be a downer when they're trying to go on vacation. So she calls it the stealth industry of the 21st century. It's right up there with like oil and gas, international trade. This book was written in 2013, and she said it was doing $3 billion in business every day. So it's a massive industry. One in 10 people in the world is employed by the tourism industry, but you can't really read about it as a business. So this is super fascinating. She looks at what countries are doing tourism well, which is France, which ones are doing it pretty poorly. Cambodia. She also has a great chapter on Dubai, which is, she says, an experiment in if you could just build a city solely for the purpose of tourism, what would that look like? And it's Dubai. And then she has a great chapter on China, because as of 2009, Chinese people can travel internationally freely where they couldn't before. So they are massively changing the way tourism works. And it's just like the graph is straight up on travel and tourism. Like it was not a mass diversion 50 years ago, like it is today. So it's just super fascinating to read about. Oh, fantastic. My first book was selected as the best of the worst. So 
most of the times, like I like to go to a bookstore or listen to what friends have to say about books. That's how I pick a book, you know? This year, I was like, I'm going to read business books. The exact opposite of my strategy. <laughs> yes, I'm going to get back on the horse and I am going to learn me some business. So I picked up like, you know, One Minute Manager, all these kinds of books that you expect business people to talk about on their shows. And specifically, I was looking to learn about groups, you know, how do groups interact? How do social networks come together? How do people create experiences for people that are really interesting and bond people together and that are productive and healthy and all this kind of stuff? All the books were so bad. They were so, and they were just boring. And the book that I remembered and that stuck with me, you know, I'd since gone online and a lot of people find this book, they have a lot of critiques of it. Some people say it's sexist. Some people say it's broadly generalizing very complex things. And I thought, you know what? Screw it. It was interesting. And that's why I appreciated this book called Tribe on Homecoming and Belonging by Sebastian Younger. And I guess he's built sort of a reputation for himself as this manly man who hangs out with war veterans and things like this and goes and beds himself with troops. And there is a lot of that sort of thing in this book. And essentially what the book is, is a critique of modern society. And sure, we can all agree with some of the problems that Sebastian points to in the book. And he attempts to uncover different ways that humans have lived that can address some of the shortcomings of modernity and the consumption culture that we find ourselves in. So that's my first recommendation is a Tribe on Homecoming and Belonging. All right. So my last book was my favorite nonfiction. So this one is my favorite fiction book of the year. It's called The Secret History by Donna Tartt. And this is a crime thriller. The basic premise is a bunch of pretentious college kids commit a murder together. And on the first page, she tells you, here's who was murdered, here's who did it, here's how they did it. But somehow this no suspense or anticipation or mystery is lowered in this book. Like it just grabs you and you are throttled to the end by the tension of what's going to happen, are they going to get caught, what's going to actually lead up to this murder. And it's so beautifully written. I feel like I was, I couldn't read for like three weeks after I finished this book. This book is like 600 pages. I devoured it in like three days. And then I was like, well, that's it. Like, I'm never, I'm never going to read again. That was so good. So I eventually lowered my standards and I'm reading again. But I just, I cannot recommend this book enough. It was so amazing. I'll stick with the direction you're taking things, which is, for me, I like to read novels in the evening. And to sort of unplug, to wind down. And oftentimes I will reread novels that I really loved. So there's this book by Richard Russo called Straight Man that he eventually won the Pulitzer Prize, but I think his best book was Straight Man. It's about this professor in central Pennsylvania who's sort of washed up and having a midlife crisis. And I so related to this character who was just a bit too clever and sort of struggling and so funny. But one book that was new to me is this, I'm actually carrying it here. Speaking of 600 pages, it's Tai Pan by James Clavell. And this is like one of those author lifetime achievement awards for me. So I read Tai Pan because I loved so much Shogun that I've read it three times. Tai Pan is an epic sort of swashbuckling tale of the founding of Hong Kong, at least for the British. So 
Hong Kong was given to the British as sort of a war concession. It wasn't civilized at all at that time. It's nothing like we think of it today. And it was essentially controlled by drug smugglers. And these drug smugglers were Americans and Brits and Westerners. And they're really fascinating characters with which to set an epic bedtime reading <laughs> novel. So, Taipan, that's my page turner of the year. Today's show is sponsored by DynamiteJobs.co. It's our newest baby and targets something we're passionate about here at the TMBA, helping your business succeed through growing amazing remote teams. And we know from personal experience just how hard it can be to find the right people. And that's why we've designed Dynamite Jobs to address that problem. So starting at as low as $200, we can help you find your next remote team member. And for $500, we'll handpick the best candidates using a pre-vetting process. We call it Wise Match. And it's designed to save you days, even weeks of your time determining the top ranking candidates for the role that you need. And for those of you seeking remote jobs, I urge you to register with us. It's completely free. I promise you we're not just the next job board. We want to work actively with you to identify ideal positions for your skill set. So whether you're looking to hire great people or whether you're one of those great people who feels that your skills are wasted in your current company and you want more freedom and flexibility in your life, check out dynamitejobs.co today. All right. My next book is Anything You Want by Derek Sivers. And this is a super short read. You can finish it in an hour. And it's a bit of a memoir, lessons learned, quick stories from entrepreneur Derek Sivers about how he began, grew, and then sold his company CD Baby. And I really personally connected with this book because it reminded me there's no right way to do things. Like, if you're going to start a lifestyle business, you want more freedom in your life. Obviously, you're a person who is like, I don't want to be told what to do. I don't want to do the nine to five thing and do what I'm supposed to be doing. But then there's so many questions. Once you get into it, it's easiest to look at what other people are doing and still follow scripts that exist for how to be a good entrepreneur or how to live the digital nomad lifestyle. So this book really made me feel like you have the freedom to do whatever you want and you don't have to follow any scripts. And he made so many mistakes with CD Baby because he just wanted to do it his own way and it would end up... So what's CD Baby? It's a online marketplace for musicians to sell their music and it was one of the first ones that existed. And he ended up selling it for like $22 million, I think. So super big business. And I read this like six months ago, and then I just recently reread it and got different things out of it each time. So I think it's a book you can go back to and still find new things in it based on where you are in your life. I totally agree with that recommendation. And I've revisited this book a few times as well. And, you know, Derek presents himself as a very modest author, but I'm tempted to put some punctuation on this book because I think one of the things as you get a little bit of momentum in your career and your life is it's easy to forget that your instincts are valuable and that if you're looking for external markers or validation all the time, sometimes that can undermine the good instincts that got you to where you are right now and that you do understand that things are valuable. I run into entrepreneurs all the time, you know, they get some momentum, they're making a good living, they've got a good thing going. And now all of a sudden it's like they got to listen to some advice giver or they got to 
get an investor. They got to get somebody who like, quote, knows what's going on to tell them the right way to do this thing. And I think Derek's book for me is like a rallying cry for your instincts and your taste and suggesting that those things are often more important to ventures than we give them credit for. Great suggestion. On that front, I'll share my favorite book of the year. I think I'm going to sound a little bit like a broken record on this podcast, but my favorite reading experience of the year was Skin in the Game by Nassim Taleb, which is essentially a riot. It's hilarious. It's irreverent. It's incredibly profound and insightful on all kinds of topics, even talking about career, business, earning, expatriatism, things that are very close to the topics we discuss on this show. But also, you know, what resonates with me so much about this is maybe if I could say like, as the world gets more digitized, you know, this happened in modernity in the 20th century generally, but in our generation, there's just so much information about everything that it's so tempting to think that whatever is on Google after a query that you make is real life. If you type in like, what is the best restaurant in New York? Like that list is, that's the answer. Like that is life. Like life is represented in information by institutions more or less accurately. I think Taleb's work is just a strong rallying cry to remember that life is very complex and to be suspicious of people who claim to have it figured out specifically when they're asking you for money. (laughs) (laughs) This book is just absolutely fantastic. And I could like sit here and advise people to read Skin in the Game, but as appropriate to the book, I'll just say I've read it twice already in one year. So there you go. Yeah, I feel like Google searches and Yelp reviews and things like that are the next, now that I've gotten social media out of my life, that's the next frontier of like, you know what? I don't care what star rating this restaurant has, I'm going to go and decide for myself whether it's good or not. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So my next one is a pop psychology book, Grit by Angela Duckworth. And she's a researcher and she researches grit, which is like a character trait. And it's basically persistence. And the basic theme of this book seems really obvious. Like if you just keep working at something, you're persistent over a long period of time through setbacks, you're going to be successful. But I found that the book was really interesting, much more nuanced than that. She says that we really overvalue talent, even though it's supposed to be really admirable to work hard. If you're given the choice between someone who's naturally gifted or someone who has no natural gifts but worked really hard to get to the same place, you're going to respect the naturally gifted person more. And now that I've read this book, when I see people complimenting each other, like shout out on social media, or things being written in the press about people, it's surprising how much you realize now how much talent is thrown around. Like, oh, that person is just an amazingly talented pianist. And it's not that they've studied it eight hours a day for 20 years. So it's, I found it inspiring that it's going to suck, but if you can just put your head down and work, you can get there. Does the book provide a path towards developing this character trait? She says that you can develop it. So she talks about deliberate practice, which is identifying your weaknesses, making a goal for how you're going to get better at that, having short feedback loops to get feedback about it, and then continually improve. And it's just 
continually identifying those weaknesses and it's painful, but sticking through it. I think it's true. Like if I could go back to like my young self and offer one insight, it would look something like that, that I was under the talent illusion for a very, very long time, even when it was challenged in certain practices. And now as an older person, it's interesting because you think about how much time you have left and that you have to make decisions about what you're going to try to be good at. I feel like I'm a very natural dabbler. I just love being like, I, I learn things very quickly and I enjoy that. So I'll take something up for like two months or six months and then be like, okay, that was fun. But now I'm on to the next thing. So she has a grit scale you can take in the book. And I got like zero. <laughs> so, <laughs> you're like, you're zero gritty. <laughs> it explained so much. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I think dabbling combined with the writer personality can actually be a really wonderful thing because as a fellow dabbler, I get into these worlds occasionally that I think are so fascinating, but that the people in those worlds don't, they're just into it. They don't see like, hey, don't you agree that this is really cool for everybody else to see too? And they're like, no. <laughs> and they also don't have the facility or the, not in a good position to explain what's happening. You notice this a lot where like really great athletes often struggle to describe the techniques that they're using and why they're important, or they'll describe the techniques that would only be relevant to someone with years and years of a base, basically. That's where I think the dabbler plus writer can come in handy. Yeah. My next book is a lot in line with your book project and The Beach, which is a book that brings you into a subculture, a world that is otherwise sort of mysterious and unknown, and places you in a very human narrative and is hilarious and fun and interesting. And it's called Liar's Poker by Michael Lewis. And Michael Lewis is one of my favorite authors. He's written some very popular books like The Big Short and Moneyball. Well, Liar's Poker was like his coming out party. It was the book that made him famous. So after college, Michael Lewis gets recruited by a big fancy stock firm to be like one of these kind of boiler room bond salesmen. And they, he just brings you into this world of extraordinary characters and details them doing unsavory things that involve lots and lots of money and consumption. And it is just a riot. It's interesting, like the legacy of the book was pretty dramatic because, you know, it showed people this really ugly world, but also made it really appealing. It was meant to be like this anti-cell, but of course, people were attracted to it. And so people grew up, you know, one of the scripts for someone in America 20 years ago that wanted to become rich, it's like, well, I'll go to Wall Street and that's how I'm going to do it. This book also had the dual legacy of sort of kicking off Michael Lewis's career. Liar's Poker by Michael Lewis. It's a great read. It sounds good. I'll have to read it for some inspiration for my novel <laughs> then. Which, by the way, I don't think I mentioned is titled Guru. I love it. So I'm excited about <laughs> that. Okay. So my next one is Educated by Tara Westover. And this is a memoir. And it was sort of all over best of 2018 lists, but I really enjoyed it. 
So it's a memoir. The author was raised by a survivalist family in rural Western America. So her family is basically preparing for the end of society. They're canning peaches. They're stockpiling supplies. Her dad distrusts every institution, the medical institution, the government, education. So she grows up working in a junkyard. She has no education whatsoever, not even homeschooling. And then eventually teaches herself enough to get into college. And then for the first time in her life, hears about the Holocaust and the civil rights movement and is open to this, a whole new world, basically the world. And she goes on to Cambridge and Harvard and gets a PhD. And then the second half of the book is her then reconciling these two worlds of can she come back home Will her family still accept her? Does she still want to be a part of her family? So it has all these questions of identity and striking out on your own. And are you the person you become or always going to be kind of the person you started as? This was another one I read in just a few days. It was really gripping and really interesting. So are we on number five now? I think that was that your final one? Yeah. My final book of the year is Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. Now, I'll give this book a little bit of a mixed review. I actually think the book is more important than good in some ways. Like it's a good book, but not a great book. There's some shortcomings which readers of this show have pointed out. One is which is that I think I think it does hurt Cal's argument just a little bit that he's never used a lot of the tools he criticized so much. But when I interviewed Cal about it, that was like my hard-hitting journalist question. I had it lined up. Your gotcha question. That was my gotcha question. And I didn't ask it because he addressed it for me in that interview by, as someone who was perfectly fine, who had never used any of this stuff. And I thought it was its own argument. And it was interesting for that reason. I found this book to be inspiring and important. Like I thought Deep Work, his previous book was just like, a ball in book. Like it was really, really well done. I think digital minimalism fails to really truly coin like the movement he's gesturing towards, but that doesn't mean that gesturing that way isn't hugely important and inspiring. And so I would highly recommend, I don't know why I'm giving it a mixed review. Maybe I should say it a little bit differently. I would highly recommend that uh, listeners of the show check out digital minimalism. You can start out by listening to my interview with Cal just a few weeks back on this program. One of my favorite blog authors and book authors in general. Yeah, I loved this book too. And I love, last year I had Deep Work as one of my books. So I was super excited about this one, but also skeptical because as someone who I read everything there is to read about social media addiction and how to get off it and all that stuff. So I thought it would be a bit of a rehashing of what's already out there. I learned a lot of new things, and he has some new approaches in ways to think about things. So I really enjoyed it. I'm all about those books, about those books. Why don't we do some uh, bonus reads here at the end? (laughs) Okay. So one thing that I've discovered this year is the library. And as a person who's traveling constantly, I read mostly on my Kindle. I do prefer to read paper books, but it's just not very practical, traveling a lot. And I got a library card in the suburbs of Chicago where my parents live. 
And there's this system called Overdrive where the library purchases ebooks and also audiobooks, and then you can rent them on your Kindle or through your Audible account. So I've just been renting like all the books I've been reading. You get them, um, you sometimes have to go on the wait list and then you wait and then you have it for three weeks and then it just is on your Kindle and then it disappears when you're done with it. And it's saving me so much money and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great tip. Might as well for listeners who have not yet signed up for an audible.com account. I think it's the best membership that money can buy. One of the things that's changed in my life is I've been going hardcore paper, Kyla, which made this episode a little bit harder for me. It's an interesting heuristic. Like, how many books have you rebought, reread, and relibraried? <laughs> There's one sitting on my coffee table right now. I'll show you. This is one of my favorite books of all time. So I'll include this as my bonus read. It's by Friedrich Nietzsche. It's called On the Genealogy of Morals. And I reread this book every couple years. And this was one of the original books that cracked my mind open, that showed me a world that I did not really believe could exist before I opened the book. I can point to probably only five or 10 books in my whole life that really, truly and not just like, hey, did you know in this country people are doing X, Y, Z, but really like conceptually equip you with a new way of looking at the world. And on the genealogy of morals was one of those. Nietzsche was like the original, like he just calls out phonies. He hates phonies. <laughs> and he's just so good at it. He's got such panache and humor when he does it. I always giggle when I read Nietzsche. And I think part of the reason I love Nassim Taleb so much is that they remind me of each other. They have that same quality. And so that's my bonus book. If you really want to get your mind blown, <laughs> check out On the Genealogy of Morals <laughs> by Nietzsche. All right. Um, I have a few different bonus ones. I was trying to get my finances in order last year. So I read Profit First by Mike Michalowicz, which is a business book about finances. And this helped me realize that my business was not profitable. So <laughs> it's a good system, though, for like separating your bank accounts, you assign percentages to where you want that money to go and then try to stick by those percentages. So that's a good system for business finances. And then also for personal or money mindset, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by T. Harv Ecker. And this one makes you look at your limiting beliefs around money or just paying more attention to how it's talked about in culture or things that you grew up believing about it. And he has this one thing that I always tell people about, like he has, um, you're supposed to do these, like put your hand on your heart and say this out loud to yourself in the mirror. And one thing is if you see money on the ground, you pick it up and you say, I am a money magnet. And <laughs> I've never done this. But it's kind of campy in that way, but you have to go with it. And so I really like it. <laughs> That's fantastic. Kyla, thanks as always for sharing your time and your book recommendations with the TMBA audience. Are you up for doing it next year again? Absolutely, yeah. Hey, big shout to Kyla Gardner for stopping by the show today. If you're interested in being one of the first people to be notified about her new book, go check out our website at kylagardner.com. 
com. I feel like Kyla's got an extreme talent for blurbing. I think I got a little bit out blurbed in this app. I do hope that you enjoyed this one and that Kyla will come back next year to run it back again. We'd also love to hear your recommendations. So if you got a favorite book that you read recently, we'd love to hear about it in the comments. We're also going to post the links to every book mentioned as well as resources for writers and readers over at tropicalmba.com slash books 2019. Thanks for joining us again here at the TMBA. And as always, we'll be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.